This is VLX number 95, Video Lexio Divina, Their Heart is Far From Me. This is Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, Affidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. God, O Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Affidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Before we jump into the Gospel, I want to talk about something about mental prayer in general. A good friend asked me, what's the difference between mental prayer and centering prayer? I think he knew that mental prayer was good and centering prayer was not good. And so I decided to write a blog about this. This is the last blog I came out with on mental prayer. And so I asked the question, what is the difference between mental prayer and centering prayer? I wrote in that blog, a decent answer would be that mental prayer looks outwards to God and centering prayer looks inwards to self. I said that would be a decent answer, but not a perfect answer because these great mystics like St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila say we actually do look inwards in mental prayer. You might be surprised that the Catholic view of mental prayer also looks inward. But it's important to notice towards whom, capital W, whom the human's inward gaze is directed during Catholic mental prayer. Listen to these two quotes from St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa first, she says, If a soul wishes to speak with its father and enjoy his company, it does not have to go to heaven. It needs no wings to go in search of him, but only to find a place where it can be alone and look upon him present within itself. That's the way of perfection, number 28. And St. John of the Cross wrote, It is to be observed that the Word, the Son of God, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is hidden in essence and in presence in the inmost being of the soul. Wherefore, the soul that would find him must go forth from all things according to the affection and will and enter within itself in deepest recollection so that all things are to it as though they were not. God then is hidden within the soul and there the good contemplative must seek him with love. That was St. John of the Cross, Spiritual Canticle 1.6. So centering prayer is used by a lot of people in the New Age world, and you do center on yourself, but you're centering on yourself, where when you enter into mental prayer, yeah, you can picture Jesus outside of you, but because the Blessed Trinity is in you as a tabernacle, as the temple of God, you're not focusing on yourself in a selfish way, truly a satanic way, because Satan actually wants us to focus on ourselves. When you go into the Blessed Trinity in mental prayer, You are not focusing on yourself, you're focusing on God. And this is why we always want to return to the Gospels. You know, Teresa of Avila, even though she had all these ecstasies and raptures and everything, she said the safest route is always to meditate on the humanity 
and the life of Jesus. And of course, she wasn't separating his humanity from his divinity. It's just when we meditate on his humanity, he lifts us to his divinity. So even though Teresa of Avila actually went beyond the purgative way of prayer, the illuminative way of prayer, she even went beyond the unitive stage of prayer, which is the highest level to what's called the spiritual marriage. She made it to, basically, she was a dead saint walking the planet <laughs> at her level of union with God. Um, and even then, at the very highest levels of Carmelite mental prayer, beyond the unitive stage of prayer, St. Teresa of Avila said the safest way of mental prayer is focusing on the life of Jesus and the Gospels. But notice she said we can go in ourselves to that. So it's fine to go in, but make sure you're focusing on Jesus, not on yourself. Okay, let's get into today's Gospel. We are now in Matthew 15, and as I said at the end of the last VLX, that was VLX 94, we kind of shift from second to third gear in two things. One, Jesus' miracles and teaching, and two, the Pharisees' envy or jealousy for him. So we're sort of shifting from second gear to third gear for this, the last year of Jesus' life. So we're in the beginning of Matthew 15 here. First thing to notice, where is Jesus? Now we hear the word Jerusalem, but notice Jesus is not there yet. If you listen closely, it said, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, Apo Yerosulamon. Apo Yerosulamon is Greek for from Jerusalem. Apo is from. From the city of peace. Kind of ironic considering their intentions today. And then the Pharisees say to Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Okay, now pay really close attention here. This is probably the most important verse in all of today's gospel. At least we're going to spend the most time on it. Uh, notice also the word transgress. It's a little bit different verb from sin. Similar in meaning, but it's a little, little bit different. Transgress in the third person plural in Greek here is parabainosin. Parabainosin, that is they transgress. And the uh, English definition of transgress is to go beyond or over a limit or boundary or to exceed or overstep. Okay, overstep what? Well, overstepping a line. Okay, which line? Well, here's what's amazing. Pay close attention because this is a little bit boring since we're focusing on moral theology more than scriptural theology, but it's really going to tie into a huge debate among Christians, especially among Catholics today. Okay, so here's what's amazing. The Pharisees actually have a different line from Jesus. The Pharisees have one line they don't want crossed, and Jesus has a different line they don't want crossed. Okay, how do I know this? Because if you look in verse 2, the Pharisees talk about the tradition of the elders. The Greek is paradosin ton presbuteron. Paradosin ton presbuteron. That's literally the, the handing, handings down, paradosin, of the priests. And then priest there is presbuteron. You should recognize that as an adjective even in English. We use that like presbyteral council meeting. That's the adjective for priests even today. So paradosin ton presbuteron, in so many words, the handed down items of the teachings from the priests. A little bit of an excessive translation, but that's how I would do it if I had to explain it out. Now, what is the line Jesus doesn't want crossed? Verse 3, entolain to theo. Entolain is commandments, to is of, and theo is God. Now, a little bit later in today's section, we're going to hear verse 9, Jesus is quoting Isaiah. He's eventually going to call the teachings of the Pharisees the entelmata anthropon. That is the commandments of man. 
Anthropon, you should recognize as the root word of anthropos, um, which we use in the anthropology, the study of man. But it was entalmata anthropon. That's verse 9, the commandments of man. So notice, and again, this is a little bit boring. Stick with me here. There's two different ways to say commandments in today's gospel. We're going to see entolain and entalmata. You can hear they're almost the same word, entolain and entalmata. But since in English it's weird to say the commandments of man, I'm just going to summarize verse 2 and verse 3 as the rules of man and the rules of God. Let me say that again. The rules of man and the rules of God. This is what today's section is all about, is the Pharisees have pitted the rules of man against the rules of God, and Jesus is pitting the rules of God against the rules of man. Um, the rules of man in verse 2, again, that's paradosin ton presbuteron, the handings down of the priests. Um, the rules of man is also in verse 9, quoting Isaiah, and talmata anthropon, literally, the commandments of man. Both of these, again, today I'm going to call the rules of man. But then the rules of God, really, really important here, because this is important to get to heaven. The rules of God in the Greek are literally the commandments of God. Entolain to theo. Now, again, I realize the Greek's a little bit different, so I'm, I'm couching these two terms in rules of man and rules of God just to make this digestible today. So notice what's happening. The Pharisees, this is so amazing. They think they're catching Jesus on the rules. But notice how Father Lapide summarizes Jesus' attitude today. This is directly from Father Lapide. Quote, Your traditions were not instituted by God or his saints, nor by the ancient patriarchs or prophet. They were only invented in recent times by the crass scribes and Pharisees who were your predecessors, end quote. Okay, that right there is huge. Did you know Jesus is, notice that right there, Jesus is not attacking old traditions, but new traditions. Things Father Lapide just told us were, quote, invented in recent times, end quote. Now elsewhere, Father Lapide says Jesus is essentially saying, quote, your traditions reject and violate the law of God, end quote. Listen to that again. Your traditions, this is Jesus in the words of um, Lapide, your traditions reject and violate the law of God. Okay, now using my vocab, we have a battle here between the rules of man and the rules of God. Now, how did Jesus identify what the rules of man were? He says, because, according to Father Lapide, they came about in recent times. Now, that should blow your mind because most sermons and movies about Jesus today, most sermons and movies about Jesus today, make it sound like the Pharisees were good at following the, the rules, but Jesus and the apostles were kind of like, I don't know, the first hippie Christians. But if you look at the Greek and Father Lapide, it's clear the Pharisees weren't just bad Christians. They were bad Jews. And I know there weren't Christian, people weren't called Christians yet, but I'm going to put that just to have it in a succinct sentence. The Pharisees weren't just bad Christians. They were bad Jews. That is huge for today. Why do I know this? Because their rules were new and their rules were man-made right out of the gospel today. Now, I, I think if any of you know uh, my history or you follow me on Twitter, where I try to, I'm a little more controversial on Twitter than on VLX. Um, I think if any of you know my history and my friends, like Father Jim Altman, then you know I could speak for an hour here on how many canon law experts in the Catholic Church think they can, I don't know, catch traditional Catholic priests all caught up in their new code of canon law, which, by the way, has only been around since 1983, and really how people use legalism and manipulation against traditionalists, not the commandments, 
They use legalism and manipulation against traditionalists, but that would take me an hour or two, so we're not going to go there. Suffice it to say, though, I had Father Altman on my podcast earlier this year, and he simply quoted St. Maximilian Kolbe, who said, if a superior commands you to sin, you must disobey that. You're going to find that all the way back to even the, even the saints that talk endlessly about obedience, like St. John of the Cross. Obedience ends when someone tells you to sin. Now, I think most of you would quick, quickly believe that as far as sins of commission, but did you realize that applies to sins of omission too? That is, if a superior in the Catholic Church commands you to stay silent, and staying silent would be a sin, then what is obedience? Well, this is where we have the answer today, directly in our face today, the same thing being played out in first century Judaism. I don't think you could say this about the Middle Ages, that we're in the same situation as first century Judaism right now, that we have the new rules of man, of the religious leaders, pitted against the old, the old rules of God. Listen again so you know I'm not just doing eisegesis of proof texting. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? That's the question of the Pharisees. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? You see, he's saying they're bad at following the old rules and good at following the new rules. So who's really the traditionalist in this Bible section? Listen to Father Lapide on the washings that the Pharisees are all talking about. This is on page 73. He says, The Pharisees were quite concerned and anxious, lest if these vessels were impure, he's talking about all these washings that they're trying to trip up Jesus' apostles on not doing enough washings. The Pharisees were quite concerned and anxious, lest if these vessels were impure, they might contaminate the food itself and those who ate out of them, as is evident from verse 11 here. But all this was merely done out of custom, since the law prescribed nothing of the kind. Yet these practices were introduced by the religious, rather superstitious Pharisees in place of the law and became their custom. Hence, this excessive scrupulosity of the Pharisees and Jews was little, if indeed at all, conducive to piety or profit, since it kept them wholly intent upon external washings. Christ, therefore, being about to put an end to the old law and especially to these vain and frivolous or noxious traditions and wishing to direct their whole attention to the purification of the mind was unwilling to carry out these ablutions or to prescribe them for his disciples, although he did not say so and express words in order to avoid the envy, accusations, and calumnies of the Pharisees. Indeed, the scribes even preferred them before the divine law, them being the little rules. The scribes even preferred these before the divine law and observed them instead of it as verse 9 so shows. So say St. Jerome, St. John Chrysostom, and others. All this becomes obvious from the Talmudists, who in the book called The Hundred Benedictions declare that the hands must be previously washed and wiped or else the bread which is eaten is judged to be unclean. Okay, so that's all Father Lapide right there, but the really important line to notice is that all these little rules of hand washings that they think they're catching Jesus on, Father Lapide says these uh, were out of custom since the law, as in the law of God, as in the Ten Commandments, since the law prescribed nothing of the kind. That's huge right there because the Pharisees think they're tripping up Jesus on their modern rules, but who made them up? Man did. Where what Jesus holds against them is the rules of God. They're not keeping the rules of God. 
Uh, so notice the difference here is actually between what we would say in the New Covenant, the difference between divine law and particular law. So anytime that someone claims a traditional Catholic who's following the saints, but not as bishop, is disobedient, all that traditional Catholic has to say is, divine law cannot be trumped by particular law. Okay, some big words there. Um, divine law is basically the Bible and the magisterium. Particular law is just rules set by your bishop. And really, in happier times, we should be able to follow both without any conflict. God has established the Catholic Church that if we're obeying him, there's never a conflict between divine law and particular law. But when there is, and this is why I wrote a blog post called True Obedience Versus False Obedience, people out there have to make some complex decisions. So I'm going to link that blog in my show notes. Uh, but here's a few sentences from True Obedience Versus False Obedience. I start by quoting Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than man, is where Catholics are at, especially at the worst church crisis since Arianism. Yes, false obedience to a true bishop is easier than true obedience to the Bible in a modernist church crisis like this. Why? Simply because it hurts our brains to think through these things. It's easier to refrain from Sunday Mass just because my bishop told me I don't have to go now, while a bishop can occasionally dispense from Mass, e.g. in a real pandemic, the fact is that no authority on earth can ever fully dispense with the third commandment entirely. End quote. So that's my blog that I'll, I'll put there. Um, if that's all complex for you, just realize that we're just saying that when the commandments seem to go against canon law, and there should never be a conflict between the two, you choose the commandments. Um, in fact, I actually like the old and the new code of canon law, but when people manipulate canon law in dishonest ways, well, then basic blue-collar Catholics, when they notice a difference between the Ten Commandments and, say, what a tribunal or a chancery tells them, the blue-collar Catholic is obliged to go with the Bible and the magisterium. The older rules, exactly as Jesus shows here, not the new random rules made up by the religious leaders of the time. Uh, and if you think that sounds Protestant, again, this is why I link in here very Catholic terms. Divine law comes higher than particular law. Um, or again, in today's Bible section, the commandments of God are higher than the commandments of man. Or really, since there are no commandments of man, again, I'm just putting it this way, the rules of God are higher than the rules of man. And how today in the gospel, how did Jesus expose these as rules of man? Because they were new, not old. So Jesus is the traditionalist here, not the Pharisees. Jesus is the Jewish traditionalist here, not the Pharisees. And I realize this goes against um, pretty much every movie and a lot of the sermons you've heard that kind of make Jesus out to be uh, the new guy. And he did bring us the new law of the Beatitudes. But remember, the Beatitudes are built on the old school commandments. You can't fulfill the Beatitudes if you're not fulfilling the old school commandments. Um, now, there, maybe there's a few things the new movies get right, like... Were the Pharisees actually crusty and stuffy and mean? Yeah, the, the, the Pharisees actually were crusty and stuffy and mean. But doctrine-wise, Jesus is holding to the old school doctrine and they're holding to the new school doctrine. And that's, that's so important to notice this. Again, that the Pharisees are not just bad Christians, but also bad Jews. And again, I realize the term Christian wasn't around in the first century yet, just making quick points to take away. So last time I'll try to say this. The Pharisees were not following the commandments of God, just their own version of manipulating canon law. Sound familiar? Well, makes you want to ask, who are the real legalists in the Catholic Church today? And again, if all this is above your head, just remember, 
Keep the Ten Commandments, keep the Ten Commandments, keep the Ten Commandments, no matter what anybody tells you. Again, Jesus says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus is clearly talking about the fourth commandment here, and he's talking about a very common violation of the fourth commandment that the Pharisees and the scribes are doing in the first century. But unless you study a little bit of this, it's not going to make any sense. So we're going to look at exactly what this is. The term in Hebrew or Greek is korban. Basically, there's a little legalistic game that the Pharisees were playing around money and the fourth commandment of honor in their parents called korban. And I'm going to teach you what that means so you understand exactly why Jesus is calling them out on a violation of the fourth commandment. It's explained a little bit um, closer in Mark chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. Listen closely. For Moses said, this is our Lord speaking in Mark 7 again, verse 10 to 13. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Okay, now the word korban, it's, it's basically a situation, I'm going to put this in kind of modern terms for you. Imagine if like an American diocesan priest got a million dollar donation from just a friend on top of his normal salary, and that million dollars that his buddy gave him, maybe this American diocesan priest joins a country club to golf, but this priest's retired parents are so poor they're, I don't know, eating ramen noodles every day. So this priest is out on the golf course three, four, five days a week at his new country club from his million dollar donation that a private donor gave him. Uh, and then this priest goes over, maybe after one of his golf sessions, to his nearly starving parents in his nice golf clothes, and he says, Hey, Mom and Dad, I know you're living on ramen noodles while I'm at the country club, but, you know, you gave God a priest. And, as you know, I've worked hard my whole life. Well, God wanted me to have some contemplative time on the golf course, so God is indirectly blessing you by my golfing, uh, yeah, while you starve to death. But he's really indirectly blessing you. I know it sounds a little bit far-fetched, but this is what was happening in the first century without the golf course part. The... Um, donations that should have gone to the Pharisees' parents, they were keeping and letting their parents basically starve to death. Um, but when they explain this to them, Father Lapidus says their parents were terrified of God, that this was an explanation from God, so they didn't seem to push back. Well, Jesus calls them out on this violation against the fourth commandment. And this is why Jesus directly says today, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, and here's the Korban part, so listen closely, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. If all that's above your head, just remember the same theme from today, that the Pharisees have pitted the rules of man against the rules of God, and Jesus is pitting the old school rules of God, the commandments of God, against the rules of man. The new rules of man in the canon law of the scribes pitted against, again, the new rules of God and the commandments given to Moses. So Jesus is truly the traditionalist here. And I think I've proven that pretty well, so you don't think I'm just doing eisegesis or proof texting. 
Eisegesis and proof texting is when you just read into the Bible your own foregone conclusions that you want to make a point for. But I'm reading you from Mark's Gospel, from the Church Fathers, from Lapide, and directly from the Greek, so you know this isn't eisegesis or proof texting. Um, now, let me give you an example why it's so important that we submit our will to the Bible, the magisterium, the commandments, the words of Jesus, the saints, before we just follow kind of new rules that anybody tells us. Um, on page 75 here, Father Lapide, he quotes St. Thomas Aquinas on something I disagree on. I know that sounds a little weird coming from me, but let me read this. This is actually about what, how to honor your parents if you are religious. And someone who enters into religion, that's the old school way of saying religious life, someone who entered into religion like the Franciscans or the Jesuits or the Dominicans, Father Lapide quotes um, St. Thomas Aquinas and some others here. He says, Indeed, a son cannot enter a religious order if his, if his parents are in extreme want. And even if he has already entered, he is bound in such a case to come out of it in order that he may succor them. S-U-C-C-O-R means help or rescue. He says, So teaches St. Thomas, St. Sylvester, Navarre, Toledus, and other doctors. So right there he's saying St. Thomas Aquinas teaches if a religious has parents who are in a really bad financial situation, he has to leave and help them. Now, personally, when I read this, I disagreed with it because I thought, well, this doesn't seem to go along with what Jesus said about loving God more than your parents and your family. But guess what? St. Thomas Aquinas knows something I don't. So I submit my mind to Thomas Aquinas. It may not make sense to me, but this is where I'm going to um, submit my mind to the doctors of the church, even if it doesn't make sense to me. And the reason I quote Father Lapide is because I really believe this is the one online comprehensive gospel study based on the fathers, because it's not based on me. Okay, let's get back to the Bible. Jesus calls the Jews hypocrites, not because they're rigid legalists. You ever heard that term recently? Jesus is calling the Pharisees hypocrites, not because they're rigid legalists about the commandments, but because they do not keep the commandments. That should be super obvious to you. That's the very de definition of a hypocrite, one who holds himself to a different standard. A hypocrite isn't a rigid legalist. A hypocrite is one who doesn't do what he's saying. This is why Jesus says today, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so we Catholics in the 2020s, 2020 or 2021 or 2022, whenever you happen to hear this under all of this health communism, everything that we're under, the notice that the commandments of men are not, the, are not doctrines from God. So when people say something like, uh, oh, this priest or this bishop or this person said, I was obliged in charity to commit a sin, sorry, it holds no weight with God. And yeah, I really am sorry you live in such complex times when you have to figure out the difference between the rules of man and the rules of God. But we learned today that the first century was a lot like today, where people then had to decide, are they going to follow Jesus towards the rules of God or the Pharisees, the canon lawyers, to the rules of man? Um, and again, how did Father Lapide say these were delineated? By what was old. Jesus was following what was old. The Pharisees were following what was new. I know it's the exact opposite of what we all heard in Catholic grade school, but it's right there in the Bible. And so also today, if you want to know the commandments of God versus the commandments of God, commandments of man, excuse me, if you want to learn the commandments of God versus the commandments of man, 
you got to go old school. you got to go back to the Bible and the magisterium if you want to know the rules of God. On the other hand, if you're content with the rules of man, just go ask an expert in modern canon law. Again, not that I think there's a conflict between the gospel and canon law. I'm a Catholic priest after all. But the average blue-collar Catholic is not simply not going to do as many legal tricks against the word of God as the modern canon lawyer. By the way, another word for a first century canon lawyer is a scribe. Not kidding. Now, for the imaginative way of prayer, I'm just going to ask you to picture yourself in the Holy Land, any of the places that you've been so far that you really like, I just mean in your mind or if you've been in their real life, just you and Jesus somewhere in the Holy Land. Maybe it's the Sea of Tiberias. Maybe it's the home of Mary and Joseph. Maybe it's walking the way with the apostles behind you. I'm just going to have you, or I'm going to suggest rather, that you walk with Jesus and I want you to go over the Ten Commandments and you're going to make an examination of conscience with him. I know we usually see examination of conscience as moral theology and today's patristic Bible study as Ignatian mental prayer and scriptural study, but as you learn today, there really is some crossover. So if you know the Ten Commandments, that's good enough. It might help to print them out, but again, I want you just to walk or sit with Jesus and do an examination, and kids can do this too, do an examination of conscience in the presence of Jesus. Usually we just go through the rules we broke, and I know I just got done talking about rules, and that's fine, because if you're going through the rules of God as an examination of conscience, that, that's great. But you're also allowed to bring love into the fear, or rather let love replace fear in this examination of conscience. The Holy Ghost said directly through St. John, perfect love casts out all fear. But still in love we do examinations of conscience. Ask the Holy Ghost to enlighten you in this. Um, and then go deep with Jesus there. Sometimes on paper, if we're actually looking at, in, at the examination of conscience on paper, and we picture Jesus with us, we can go deeper and more loving. I know this might sound at first like this is just fear-based to have, I don't know, Jesus looking at you while you do an exam. Maybe this is why it's better you're shoulder to shoulder and you're walking, you're walking the way with Jesus. Picture yourself walking and discussing, but especially listening to his enlightenment, his gift of counsel on the Ten Commandments. And not just mortal and venial sins, though you should probably, no, definitely write out mortal and venial sins, but also ask Christ for illumination on imperfections. Sometimes when I really go deep in an examination of conscience, I picture, I just think I'm going to only hear ethics or think I was going to be guilty of this one thing. But then, I don't know, a lot of times I'm surprised. When I ask Jesus to be the center of my examination of conscience, I see what offended him in the day was maybe different than what I thought. Like maybe I was worried about one thing and then I saw that I was rude honking my, in my car or something. And that was Jesus. That was literally Jesus I honked at because Jesus said, whatever you do, the least of my people you do to me. But keep in mind, as you walk the way with Jesus doing an examination of conscience, um, Jesus convicts in a different way than Satan. I often say Satan convicts by a punch to the stomach. Jesus convicts by a punch to the arm. What I mean by that? A lot of times when we just have scruple or shame for our sin, Satan gives us a gut punch. But when we're really listening to God, it's almost like a really loving coach just gives us a light punch on the shoulder like, come on, you know, get it together on that or that was wrong. And it leads to real sorrow, not just shame. It leads to sorrow because we hurt God's heart in all of this. And if you think that sounds soft and liberal and goofy, 
do this imaginative way of prayer, and you might notice a difference in, in your examination of your conscience, that you go from just fear of hell to love of God. And that's old school stuff. To move from imperfect contrition to perfect contrition is the goal of contrition. To move from fear of hell to, wow, I crucified Jesus by this sin, and I love him, and I never want to do that again. That is how all the saints say we should live perfect contrition in our examination of conscience. And if you have time, maybe give 15 minutes to the commandments. If you have another 15 minutes on the um, imaginative way of prayer, bring the Beatitudes into this. Ask Jesus which Beatitudes you are living well, which Beatitudes you're not living well. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio deemne patentis patris et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>